Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined, Changing the Experience of Divorce. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard, and this is my final episode of 2022. I can't believe it, actually. I think this year has gone by so quickly. It's been full and all over the place of amazing opportunities and struggles, too, and it's I can't say it's nice to end the year because it, you know, I never like anything coming to an end necessarily, but it's always nice to start fresh. And for me, you know, my new year kind of starts in September when my kids go back to school and that's sort of when I set new goals. But I I do always take this time to reflect on what I've learned in 2022, what I can do differently and how I can apply that for 2023. And this episode is going to be a little bit of about wealth and women in wealth and how we can set some new goals and learn new things about building independent wealth as women, because I think that's so important for me. You know, a lot of you know my divorce story already. I was a stay-at-home mom for 11 years. I was an elementary school teacher full-time before I left my job to have kids. And staying home for 11 years was an amazing experience. I wouldn't take it back for the world. And I don't regret it. But one thing I would have done differently is stayed a little deeper into some more work for myself. Because what ended up happening was I really started to become what I call the disenfranchised spouse, where I didn't contribute to my family finances in any way. And I wasn't privy to everything that was going on financially within my marriage. I had a credit card with a specific limit on it. I didn't have access to family finances at all. I didn't even know what our mortgage was. I know I'm embarrassed to say that. More embarrassed to say that I didn't even know what my what my spouse's income was because I never looked at the taxes. They just went off and he did them. And when I left my marriage after 11 years of staying at home, I was terrified because I had no idea what I was up against, what was going to be in it for me financially. And that was a massive, massive obstacle that I had to overcome. I didn't even know where to start. And I know that I'm not the only one who's gone through that. And I'm not the only one out here that feels like that. I know that there's a lot of people still in unhappy, unhealthy marriages because they fear what their financial future looks like. This morning, I was reading Forbes magazine and I saw that there was a study saying that women's financial health right now is at a five-year low. And women are now spending a significant time worrying about their finances Inflation and recession fears, combined with concerns like reproductive rights and access to childcare, women fret about their financial woes more than men, period. The report also said that 59% of women worry about their finances at least once a week, and 43% of women actively worry about money at least once a day. 
Now, you might think that stat is pretty astounding. I might think it too if I didn't know that I was one of those people. I'm literally one of those people that get up in the night, start sweating about the fact that I might still be a bag lady under the bridge one day if I don't get to work and start to make more money, you know? And I think a lot of women feel that way in general because a variety of reasons that we're going to get into today. The cause of stress can also depend on our age. You know, I'm a, I'm a bit older. I started my second career in my 40s. I just turned 47 this year, and I feel like I'm just getting started. And so for me, that brings a whole new set of fears and financial concerns. Older women, the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, are more likely to be worried about the economy. They're stressing over inflation and a possible recession and potentially cutting back on their spending or their lifestyle. For younger women like millennials and Gen Zs, reproductive rights, job security, the cost of childcare, housing prices, women's representation in government, those are all things that are weighing on their minds. However, older and younger women are still united on one particular worry. And this is how they feel about their foundational financial health over the long term. While we know that women's financial confidence is a major issue at play here, I mean, it definitely is for me, it's possible to be in a good situation, but still doubt yourself. And I think a lot of this also comes from the lack of external support. Nearly 70% of women say they've never met with a financial advisor. And That's compared to just 41% of men. So we're going to dig deep into this today, as well as divorce and finances, because you know this podcast is all how it can relate to educating, informing you through making the best choices in divorce and empowering you to be able to learn from other people's story. So today's guest has a pretty amazing story to tell. She is known as the Fiscal Feminist. Kimberly Davis has more than 25 years of finance, legal, and corporate experience in wealth management, where she specializes in personal wealth wealth advising and financial retirement and estate planning solutions for high net worth individuals and multi-generational families. She is also a certified divorce financial analyst. And if you don't know what that is, we're going to teach you what that is today and how this person is a key player in your divorce. Doing this role, she focuses on helping women transition to financial independence after life-altering events such as divorce or even death of a spouse. Kimberly is the host of The Fiscal Feminist, a podcast and platform about women and their relationship with money and finance. Her mission is to help women of all ages and wealth levels embrace their responsibility to themselves to achieve solid financial footing in both calm and turbulent times. She released her new book this year called The Fiscal Feminist, A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women, in which she shares her knowledge and passion to inform and educate women about their fiscal responsibilities, to which she attributes her own life lessons. And so today, this podcast is called A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women. So to all the women listening, I hope you are ready for this, because I definitely am. Welcome to the show, Kimberly. Thank you, Cindy. I'm very excited to be here um, today, and I loved uh, your intro because you really highlight some very uh, important, uh, salient, and also urgent 
point that we as women have to feel that urgency that we have to change the narrative now and we have to dig in. We've got to um, stop living in denial. Ignorance is not bliss, as you learned from Mm -hmm. your personal experience, as I learned from my personal experience. And, um, you know, as we as women, we are living longer than our male counterparts. Um, We uh, have longer uh, times in retirement, higher medical costs. Uh, so all the things that you brought up are really relevant. And, you know, they're not just kind of discussion points. Mm-hmm. These are real life things that can affect your life um, if you're not looking for them. And if you are looking for them and you're prepared, it's going to really make things go a lot smoothly and you're going to have less stress and you're going to hopefully not be up every night worrying about money. <laughs> yeah. um, but I hope that comes do, one day. You at least know you have a plan. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, look, I get up too. We all get mm-hmm. up, you know, because mm-hmm. life is so complicated. And especially when you're listening to the news every day, uh, you know, whether you you want to hear this stuff or not, you know, you're getting bar- constantly getting bombarded by information about inflation, recession, um, you know, mm-hmm. and also uh, to your point with respect to women as well is like, Women were really uh, detrimentally affected by COVID. They mm-hmm. had the she session. They lost more jobs than men. Um, and a lot of them did not re-enter the workforce. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that has to do with childcare. Right. But, um, you're right. There's a, there's a whole lo- host of issues here that um, we have to navigate through that men don't because of our caregiving rules, you know, our our roles as moms and caregivers for parents or siblings or whoever. And then mm-hmm. also uh, the fact that we've had a different narrative with respect to money than men. Yeah. Uh, usually in childhood and as we're growing up, we haven't had the same money talks that often our brothers get or, you know, uh, yeah. boys get. And, and there's a lot of lingering anachronistic thinking around women and money and independence and so on and so forth. And you can yeah. see a little bit of that. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, you know, with the way things are going now with re- reproductive rights, childcare mm-hmm. tax credit, um, all of these things that can help women to, uh, if they want to have children, be able to, you know, get through that with some assistance aren't happening. And then also for some women, they're going to have to have children they may not be able to afford. I know there's so much at play here. So let's like, let's kind of pick it apart little by little. But I think that I want to start with your story because when you and I first met, you know, we had this, this talk about being on, on our, each other's podcast and we initially like hit it off. And I think we spoke for over an hour and your story was so compelling because you are a prime example of a woman who who could turn everything around for herself financially, even after divorce. And, you know, the cards are stacked against us a lot of the times when we go and we have the kids and we have the stay-at-home mom. And we think that we enter this lifestyle that's so comfortable. I mean, I sure did. I was in a marriage where I didn't have to work if I didn't want to, you know, and it, that was just okay. And I think now, I, I don't want to say I regret it, but I would have done that differently. I would have really embrace something more for myself so that I could contribute, not only would that be good for my mindset and my mental health, I think it would have been a great role role model for my kids. Luckily, they're seeing that now, but it also would have made leaving my marriage a lot less scary 
because I would have been not in the financial driving driver's seat necessarily, but I would have had at least access to fi- to finances that could have helped me in the process. So let's go into your, you know, share with us your divorce story because I do think it's pretty inspiring. So um, <laughs> quite a tale. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's quite a tale of woe that could have ended very badly and, you know, thank God didn't. Um, but like you, um, so let's begin at the beginning. Um, you are very young compared to me. I am a baby boomer. Uh, I'm going to turn 64 this week. Uh, so amazing. Um, amazing. Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. I'm just glad to be alive. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I uh, was uh, graduated from law school in 1983. Um, I was a corporate securities lawyer and I worked on Wall Street. So there weren't very many women kicking around back then. Maybe probably less than 25% of us were, you know, women. Um, I was the only person in my first law firm in my entering class at the law firm. Uh, everybody else were, you know, was a bunch of dudes. And um, so I was very much involved in uh, the late 70s, early 80s idea of feminism, Gloria Steinem. I, you know, all of these things were very inspirational to me. Um, again, I'm an only child. So I really thought I didn't even think about having kids. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to go move to New York City. I grew up in Pittsburgh and I did all those things. So I was very involved, um, worked in my profession uh, as a lawyer for five or six years. And then I decided I wanted to switch over into investment banking. I had a finance background from Georgetown undergrad. I was in econometrics and all that stuff. I was kind of getting tired of writing these big, long S1s. (laughs) So I wanted to get more on the business side. And along the way, um, I got married to my first husband and the father of my three children who are now all in their 30s. Um, And uh, when I had my first child, you know, my husband also was now a lawyer who changed over to business. Mm. And we lived in New York and we lived in Westchester County. And, you know, it was just kind of like, who's going to stay home with the with the kid because right. obviously the commute was long um, and and I was the one nursing the child. So exactly. I was kind of the logical solution to that. So then I had uh, Claire, who was my second child two years later. And, um, and then I had Meryl, my third child, two years after that. Uh, and so along the way, I'm a stay at home mom uh, at this point. And then my ex-husband was offered this. And this is one of the first mistakes I made. This was one of the biggest mistakes I made. Mm. He was offered a position to go to England because he had two passports. So he didn't need to get work papers um, to go start this private equity group for a big bank. And um, it was only supposed to be for two years. I did not want to do this because I had three children under the age of six. Um, My mom came a lot to help me. And I had established a really nice life in Chappaqua, New York, where I was president of the Junior League. And I had a lot of professional Mm -hmm. friends who had stepped away from the workplace like myself. So we had this, you know, nice group of people who were intellectually engaged and still moms and all that stuff. Um, But I I was strong armed into doing this. There was no like option. I was told this is what we have to do. Well, the the first thing is, is that was about 30 years ago. And my husband uh, still lives there. My ex-husband mm. still lives there. So there was no coming back. He didn't really ever have that intention, right. although I didn't understand that. But the thing is, by moving there and being there for 14 years, which I ultimately was there for, 
it took away any career development on my side that was relevant to what I had been doing. I did actually start a fashion company there where we manufactured, I was a creative vision, we manufactured clothes and we sold them to Saks Fifth Avenue. And so it was relatively successful, but it was something that, um, A, I love clothes, but I don't want to manufacture clothes. And B, my kids were adolescents and I totally uh, had no idea what was going on because it grew really <laughs> fast. And I was like, okay, this is not what I bargained for. And right. I couldn't really sell it because I was it. So it was just, um, I was trying to find some way to self-realize and I couldn't do the profession that I really wanted to do because it was just too complicated for me to do uh, what I had been doing. So um, it was really a big hit on my career development. Mm. So fast forward 14 years uh, later, I'm, you know, seeing the deterioration of the marriage after 20 mm-hmm. some years. Um, my eldest daughter is about to go to Georgetown at, in Washington, D.C. My other two are old enough to decide whether they want to stay in England or move with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we decide that we're going to move to, I'm going to move to California. Um, and my two children are going to come and live with me. Allison's going to go to Georgetown. Um And we kind of had this agreement that we would just, you know, stay together until Merrill graduated from high school and, you know, he would help get me set up. And then ultimately, you know, we'd part company as gentlemen and go our separate ways. Right. So it was a little bit amicable at the time. Yeah. So now, and this is also kind of a footnote that I would like everyone to listen to, because when we talk about pre-divorce strategy, this what is about to, I'm going to tell you is manifest itself, right? So mm-hmm. I get there six months into being there, get a phone call from him one day. I can still, I'm in my rental home. I'm in the kitchen, the phone rings. And it was actually the phone on the wall. Um, it wasn't my cell phone <laughs> for some reason. And I remember this so well. And he's like, oh, you know, that agreement we had, well, I want a divorce right now. I don't want to do this anymore it's only been six months. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, we're still trying to get acclimated here. And you know, that's not yeah. the deal. And as soon as I put the phone down, I had a complete meltdown. And then I called um, a friend of mine in England and she said, you need to get an international divorce lawyer. So I did. Mm. And um, he said, you need to file for divorce like now before he does. So I did, which oh. meant I had to get money for legal fees and so on and so forth. Um, And about three days after this phone call, all of the passwords on our bank account had been changed and I no longer had access to any money. Right. So this was pretty scary, right? I've got two kids in school in California. I've got one who's in university. I have rent payments and I'm not exactly sure. He's not picking his phone up now. Without getting into the details, there was another uh, player in this in the background that Mm. was kind of influencing a lot of this behavior. So it was really stressful for my children and myself because we didn't know what was going on. So I called the lawyer and we had to go get an interim uh, divorce order, Mm -hmm. which forced him to pay me while the divorce proceeding was unraveled, you know, was going, we were going through, which took two years, I might add, with me going back and forth to London. So I, um, you know, it was a complete nightmare and... I had a lot of uncertainty and the divorce took a while because we ended up in court. There was no way there was going to be any mediation on this. And to my earlier point, the minute someone decides they're done, 
you're not getting access to any more information. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't have it before that, if you think you're going to get it through subpoena, the subpoena process and all that, there's a lot of things that go on where people will not produce documents. Mm-hmm. They will not give you information and they will outright lie about it. So right. I have a lot of people I know through my CDFA work and my wealth management work where when people have um, businesses like partnerships, law firms, or whatever it is, like it's like a one-man band or a small company, or a company that was a family business, all of a sudden the company that was doing millions of dollars one year, it's not doing any, it's not, it's doing terrible the year that everybody yeah. needs the documents. Or they say, oh, well, we can't, you know, we don't, they drag their feet in showing you company documents because if you're in a community property state, you are going to have some right to some of that business, right? If it's a family mm-hmm. business, mm-hmm. yeah, even if you're not technically a shareholder. So, you know, people don't want to produce documents and they do everything they can to, and that's why there's forensic accountants. Right. Um, so first thing is I, uh, like you, you would think with my background, right? I was a lawyer. I was a banker. Um, I was a CFO at one point. How did I not know what was going on in my own life? I mean, right. duh. And it, again, because I'm this strange dichotomy, or I was, of, you know, this person who was super ambitious and wanted to become, you know, a top lawyer and kind of like a 50s housewife. Right. So <laughs> I had this like split personality, you know. <laughs> and so when I started staying at home, I was always busy with the children. I was mm-hmm. busy with the house. I was just busy. I don't know what I was doing. Yeah, but we all get so busy with that. Yeah. All I know is that I literally was really busy because I know when my kids were little, there would be days on end when I was thinking, when am I going to take my next shower? You know, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> I would have loved to have gone back to my law firm and sat in my fancy office and wore my designer clothes and, you know, had a lunch with a friend and, you know, worked because it was all about me. It was more peaceful. <laughs> yeah. And I got, and I got paid for that. I actually got paid for that. No one ever right. counted what I did as uh, something that should be paid for. Exactly. Um, so I, was like you. I got to the point where I was signing tax returns without looking at them. I had a kind of a general idea of what Michael made. Um, I knew that he had a 401k. Um, I knew so I was like in charge of paying bills, but mm-hmm. that's what a lot of women do. That's not taking care of your finances. That's yeah. just taking care of the house, really. Um, so I literally didn't know about certain bank accounts. Um, I obviously didn't know that my password on the joint bank accounts could be changed and then I couldn't rechange it back. Right. Um, there was a lot of stuff that went on that I was just like, I am so incredibly, you know, embarrassed that I am at such a disadvantage here. Right. And I remember, you know, we subpoenaed all these papers because when he had worked at JP Morgan in New York, there was a bunch of stuff about that I didn't know and it was not forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this was a problem and we finally did get through the divorce and it took two years. And then lo and behold, it, it actually was okay. In the end, the decree was I would get alimony and I got a settlement. You know, we had used a lot of our money to pay for education for the children privately in England. Um, Cause it's very expensive there, but you know, I had what I had and I thought, okay, I can, um, I can create a life for us here. I can get these kids and uh, keep them in private school. I can, you know, uh, get myself set up for a career, and um, maybe over time I won't even need his alimony. Okay, right. that, and I had even said that to him. Um, and then, okay, this happened in April of 2011. The decree comes down. 
October of 2011, I wake up one day, um, see an email from my divorce, my solicitor, because you have to have a solicitor and a barrister in England, but anyway, mm. just for double legal fees. Um, <laughs> and I get this email from her and I'm like, well, why is she emailing me? This divorce is done, right? I, I shouldn't be hearing from her. I paid her bill. And lo and behold, my ex-husband had somehow decided or was no longer going to be working. Oh, gosh. And he was no longer able to work. I don't know what that means, but that's what he said. And he had gotten some sort of severance, which he was, I fought for him to give me some. But then he was going to, he took me back to court to revise what I was getting. And he said he couldn't pay me anymore. Oh and it was like, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? You know, mm -hmm. we've got three kids and none of them are working and I don't have a job. I'm still, I'm looking for a job, but I, you yeah. know, you're expecting me to go from zero to a thousand in like four minutes. Short time. I, I need time, you know? Um, he didn't want to hear it. I don't know. He claimed he had a nervous breakdown, blah, 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 blah. Um, which was not true because he actually just wanted a lesser job and he didn't want to pay the alimony and he perjured right. himself on the stand. And shortly after the second court case, he, he was working like a minute later, even though he said that wasn't going to happen. Um, so long story short, I was really kind of up the proverbial, you know what, creek. And yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't a good situation. If you want to talk about a lot of insomnia, well, I was the, a poster child for that. Um, mm -hmm. I literally got up every night at 3 a.m., and I would sit outside in the back garden because I live in California. And um, and I would just pour myself a Jameson whiskey and just sit there and think <laughs> at 3 a.m., how is this going to turn out? Like, are right. we going to be homeless? Because while this court case was, un you know, taking time and so slow over there, I was going through all the money that I did have. Um, I was selling my jewelry. I was trying everything to just keep this afloat. And I was like, okay, I have to make getting a job be my job. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait anymore for divorce decrees or um, I, my children are older. They'll figure it out, but I got to get going on this or we are all literally going to be homeless. So I did do that. And again, at the time I was about 53, 54 years old. I applied for over a hundred jobs from everything from, perfume saleswoman at Neiman Marcus, which by the way, they rejected me, um, <laughs> to uh, regional district manager for Starbucks. I mean, I applied for wow, everything. everything. I mean, I was, I was like, if it's a job and I think I could get my head around it, I'm going, I have, you know, I don't care if it's packing grocery bags. I just need money. Yeah. So um, I was Obviously, there were not a lot of people clamoring to hire a 54-year-old woman. Who is very was, overqualified, too. And, for, and, and that was it. <laughs> I had one woman I went, uh, I applied to be somebody's, I mean, I can't, even, well, I, played, I applied to be somebody's executive assistant because I needed to get a job. And I obviously knew how to multitask and, you know, I can organize myself out of anything. And the woman who was, you know, the headhunter for it, she was like, you just have to take all this law school and law practice stuff off your resume. And oh, I'm gosh. like, are you kidding me? I worked my ass off for that. I am not yeah. taking this stuff off. So at that point, I was like, you know what? This is just nonsense. I need to really find something that is appropriate for my skill set. And it might take me some time, but I'm going to keep on plugging away. So lo and behold, I found this interview at um, 
I applied at Morgan Stanley. You have to take a bunch of tests. I passed the test and I got an interview. And through some, you know, through my just persistence and uh, I also, I, you know, I was in the process of, uh, I had gotten an interview there, but I wanted to get interviewed in Irvine and everything goes through New York. And in the meantime, I was on LinkedIn and I saw this woman who was a headhunter in uh, Irvine and I called her and I said, hey, you know, I'm sure that you don't really represent individuals. You just do company stuff. But mm. I left this long, tortured voicemail to her. Um, <laughs> and believe it or not, she called me back and she was like, hey, I don't actually represent individuals in the way that you want me to, but I let's have lunch and we can talk about what you're up to. And then I said, I'm in the interview process at Morgan Stanley and Wealth Management, and I want to get a job in the Irvine office. And it turned out her husband was an SVP at mm. the Wealth Management in uh, of Morgan Stanley in Irvine. Ah, and then I happen. met him and, and then the whole thing kind of gelled. But I would talk to anybody about anything just to move this ball down the field. And it, yeah. and it paid, it came to fruition. Um, and at that point, you know, I realized I had made so many bad decisions. I had run my life poorly. I was kind of living, I was expecting my husband to take care of me right. and that I didn't really have to worry about money. And these were things that were planted in my head from my own experience in my childhood, through my family life, from also things that I was watching on TV. And even with the feminist movement, no one really talked about this part mm -hmm. of it. I don't know. I mean, somehow this got left in the dust. So I got, you know, I started my wealth management career at Morgan Stanley. Um, I then was um, recruited to become part of the Bonson Group way back when, about nine years ago. And I joined that group. Um, we left Morgan Stanley in 2015 to become an independent wealth management uh, firm called the mm -hmm. Bonson Group. So we are uh, an independent uh wealth management group now. And I worked and worked and worked and worked and, and built my book of business. And I have both men and women clients. But, um, you know, I was very lucky that I was able to attract a lot of uh, clients of all walks of life, but some very high net worth people. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been a very, it was like a fairy tale ending to, I mean, if you had told me in 2011, that I was going to be a managing director and partner in a wealth management business, that I was going to be, we work in a business where we manage $4 billion, wow. that I um, was going to have written a book and I was going to have this platform. I would have looked at you and said, okay, look, this is insanity. I don't even know how <laughs> I'm paying my rent next month. Okay. Wow. Um, so I was just really stressed and it was affecting my health. You know, sure. my blood pressure was higher. Um, I was putting on weight because my cortisol level. So money, money and health and stress all are one big related thing. So if the money part of it is really not on point, you are going to get sick. So yeah. you, this is as important as getting a mammogram and going for your heart checkup and everything else. So I ended up um, luckily becoming successful in my career and I still work at it. And I'm going to play catch up for a while because I have to build my retirement savings. I'm, you know, I'm hoping to work another 10 years A, because I like it and B, I don't know what the heck I'd do all day if I didn't work. Plus, I love my job. <laughs> yeah. um, but along the way, how did I decide to do the fiscal feminist? Mm -hmm. I was just noticing that um, when, you know, I didn't want, when I finally got my own uh, stability, I started reflecting on my, my situation. And I thought, you know, with all my knowledge, all my expertise, all the stuff I've learned as a lawyer, as a banker, as a wealth manager, 
as a mom, mm-hmm. um, as a wife, as a, uh, a ex-wife, and then believe it or not, I got married again, um, which even I can't believe. Uh, <laughs> but long story short, I wanted to help women not to make the same mistakes that I did yeah. because women are living longer. A lot of people are going through what I went through, which is called the gray divorce. And it so has such yes. a deleterious effect on their lives in retirement that it really does reduce the level of um, financial, uh, you know, their financial lives tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, and then I also wanted to be able to be a role model and show guidance to younger women who are coming up in, in the world um, about money and relationships uh, I talk a lot about prenups. Anyway, mm. so I started this platform called The Fiscal Feminist. And I called it that because um, to me, a feminist isn't like me burning my bra and hating all men. I don't <laughs> hate men. I've now had two husbands. Um, I work, I've worked yeah. my entire life predominantly with men. Even in my current career, there aren't a lot of uh, women financial advisors. Even in this day and age, it's only mm. 25%. Um, and so I do like men, but I understand that we have different issues and we have to take responsibility for ourselves. We need to be CEOs of our lives and yes. start running our lives in a similar fashion that men have done over the years because they've always been taught that that's what you should do to have a, a sound financial life. And we've mm-hmm. been inculcated with you know uh, Jane Austen novels and all these other things that I love, but are you know we still have a lot of these ideas floating around that there is a prince charming, a princess charming, a charming, no, char- there is no charming, right? You are the charming. <laughs> no so one is you, coming. No one is coming. No one's coming. Okay. It, there's no one is a showing up. And if they do show up, it may not be for a permanent amount of time mm-hmm. as you learned, mm-hmm. as I learned. So um, I wanted to start an educational platform w- that is empowering, informative and inspirational And I wanted to kind of sound the alarm and make it urgent and say, you know what? You're not allowed to not uh, know what's going on, whether you're married or whether you're not married. So I, you know, and I'm jumping around, but just as an illustrative example, I have a lot of millennials that follow me on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a lot of women who are now deciding some to get married, some to be stay-at-home moms. Mm Mm-hmm. My daughter, who's 32, just got married a couple months ago. She's a lawyer in a big firm in New York. Her husband's in P- uh, PR, and so he has a good job, too. But she does very well for herself. And I w- was on a podcast recently with Market Watch. We were talking about prenups. You know, thirty over 30% of millennials now have prenups, oh. which is awesome. Yeah, okay? that's a huge jump than it was. Huge. And mm-hmm. a lot of people think, unless you have money, you shouldn't. You don't need a prenup. Right. Well, that's not true, okay? Because we are organic growing people. Many more women are in, you know, working now and they will continue to grow in their career. But whether you're a man or a woman, if you step back from your job for childcare, whether part-time or full-time, the ripple effect throughout your financial life is gargantuan. Think mm-hmm. about compound interest. This is a similar kind of thing, but in reverse. So you lose career development. You stop contributing to social security, okay? You stop contributing to your 401k or your IRA. And all those things together mean you're taking a huge financial hit. So how are you going to be compensated for that? See, I wasn't compensated for anything I did. It was like all that stuff I did for the family, invisible labor. Nobody cared. 
the 55-year-old guy who was the court, uh, was the judge in my final case, he was like, what are you talking about? You right. Know, no concept just, of that. There's yeah. no compensation for that. So what I have come up with and discuss a lot with the prospective prenups and uh, we put in my daughter's uh, prenup and it applied either to her or her husband, whoever does decide to step back, is that you can put a formula in there and say, okay, you know, mm. for all the years that I'm not in the workplace and I'm doing the childcare, um, I'm doing all the invisible labor, I'm taking the career hit, I'm taking the retirement money hit. How do I compensate for that? Yeah. So you say, I would have been making X, I would have been contributing Y. And then you say, I'll take 60% of my salary. I'll put what I'm putting in my 401k, uh, you know, and what would I have been contributing to social security? What would somebody be getting paid to do the in-home work that I'm doing? Come up with that number. That's your baseline number per year. Mm -hmm. You can put an inflator on it. And for how many years that you're doing it, that can be your base amount for a settlement um, mm -hmm. or some sort of alimony. I always prefer settlements because at least you've got the money up front. But at least it's not left to mediation when everybody hates each other and yeah. nobody wants to produce documentation or you're in the hands of a judge who doesn't know anything about you and he yeah. can decide anything he wants. So I think women have to become more savvy in their micro choices in their lives, right? There's micro choices and macro. Macros, mm -hmm. what, what are you going to do for your career? How are you going to advocate for yourself in the professional world? Micro is how am I going to deal with advocating for myself in my personal relationships when it comes to money? Oh my and we gosh. need to become experts mm -hmm. at that. And that's huge. If, it's huge because you were a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. You did a lot of invisible labor and you lived a good life, right? You, you didn't have yes. to worry about stuff. But then when the time came that you wanted to exit stage left, did anyone say, well, oh, that's right. Cindy spent 11 years and she did this, that, and the other. And that was probably worth X. No, mm -hmm. one, I'm 100% sure no one said that. No. Well, I did. You know what? We did have a prenup. But this was a situation where I was getting married early. This was required. And I didn't. And I'm going to put this on me. I was so afraid of what that meant because I also was offended by it, thinking, oh, my God, you know, we're getting married. How can we start looking at the end? Right. There's not going to be an end. And I, I wasn't looking at the reality of what this is. A marriage is a contract. You're entering into a business right. deal in your life. You need to also be smart about this. But I was afraid of it. And I was offended by it. And so I didn't do what I should have done diligently. And we also never reviewed it because you should review that thing as you go on. When we were together yeah, and for you can, you 22 can years. It, you can change it. It's an organic document. Yeah. And I want to say just as a quick footnote here, even if you're not getting married, if you decide to live long term with somebody, um, you don't have the same rights as married people do. You should have a cohabitation agreement. Oh, my gosh, um, yes. That, this is also very important for people that just live together in the long term. And a lot of people who are baby boomers are doing that now. And they mm -hmm. particularly should have it because they have their own assets. And they have heirs who are going to fight with you if something happens when one of the people dies in the partnership and you're living together. And it's all very murky. So yeah. it's best to, uh, you know, get that very clarified in a, a, a simple contract. Um, and if you don't want to retain lawyers, which is the best way to do it, there are online services now where you can do this online, but something is better than nothing. But with yeah. the prenup, I mean, I don't know how you felt. And I, I hear this a lot even now from people who are young and should be more with it, in my opinion. But um, 
you know, did you think you would be less loved if you tried to advocate for yourself in the prenup? <laughs> yeah, I think you do, right? I think like if you don't, if you want to fight against this, I didn't want the, his family to look poorly on me. I wanted them to, to just think she's like amicable, she's agreeable, you know, this is what we're offering. And I really didn't know what that meant 22 years later. You know what I mean? Like there was just so much that you just but don't see, know. But just listen to what you just said. Yeah. You just said, and we all are so guilty of this as women. And it's not a bad thing up to a point, but at some point it is a bad thing. You wanted them to think that you were nice, Mm -hmm. that you were amicable because you wanted to be a good little girl that fell in just the way we're supposed to do. And honestly, you can still be nice. You can still be lovable. You can, you can be sexy, hot, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't know about what the heck you're signing for a prenup and that you shouldn't ask for a prenup. I had the daughter of a client call me the other day, and she's also a client uh, as the daughter of a client. And she's got, you know, considering she's got some money for a 30-some-year-old woman, she got recently married, no prenup. And um, her father, who I adore, said, told her that she has quite a bit of money, which she's gotten from family, in her own account, which if I... I told her, you should have a separate property trust. You can hold it in your singular name, but mm-hmm. it would be better if it were in a separate property trust. And those are you know, not that hard to do. Uh, it's not that expensive to do, but that would be the best way to hold it. She said, well, um, I was wondering if we could make my investment account um, a joint account with my new husband. And I said, okay, but why... Why are you doing that? Just may I ask why you're doing that? I, I said, mm-hmm. I'll do whatever you want. You know, mm-hmm. it's your money. Um, but I'm advi- as your fiduciary advisor, I'm asking you, why are you doing that? Well, because my father said it would be a good thing to do. And I was like, well, first of all, I know her father. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to call him up and tell him that was not good <laughs> advice because I can do that with him without him getting mad at me. But it was kind of like, wait a minute. You need to go back and think. I said, maybe you might want to go back and think about this because – if you commingle that money right now, it becomes property of the marital estate. Mm-hmm. If by some chance, that probably isn't going to happen, in 10 or 15 years you get divorced, this money will have grown quite a bit. And it's already quite a bit of money. Yeah, This will be your money. It'll yeah. be your safety net. So before you make any changes on this, I want you to think about it. for Take a beat. And then she was like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to call you back. I need to go back and think about think this. Think about more. it. Yeah. And 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 again, so we're getting advice from our parents from mm. you know, there are actually finfluencers out there who have said I've heard them with my own ears. I disagree with them 100% who are, are Christian-based financial advisors and say, "Well, when you get married, you should commingle everything because everything is joint." Okay. I'm not going to make any uh, comments about religion. Okay. I don't that to me, that has nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. It's just being responsible to yourself and your children, and your first love should be yourself. If you haven't, uh, and, and if you do want to commingle everything, okay, go ahead and do it. But just be aware of every single account that you have, and make sure you have records of it. You have entry to it. Mm-hmm. You, you're checking credit reports for both of you. You understand all the things that are going to affect you when the rubber hits the road if there's a divorce, because yeah. you will come out worse if you don't. If you commingle everything, and that's just a fact. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so important to have those conversations right away. And I think people are scared of them because they're so unromantic and they're so realistic. And you're looking at the end before you've even be- barely begun the beginning. But at the end of the day, it is going to protect your future for both of you. I mean, I have to say that the couples, the individuals that I work with now at the end as a, their divorce coach, the people that come to me with a prenup, it's really quite quicker. It's a lot less expensive. It's a lot less animosity involved. I mean, there still is obviously, but it's very clear what, what they have, what they're, what they've protected. There's still obviously areas to negotiate, but it makes everything so much easier right away. So knowing that, you know, knowing that, wouldn't you think you'd want to to set up the end to be really smooth in the event there was? And isn't it, maybe it's like taking an umbrella on a rainy day. Maybe if you set well, this up, it's I not going to happen. And this is what I said to my daughter, um, who she was all in, because obviously, you know, I've indoctrinated her with my thinking. And, um, you know, and her, and her husband was all in too. I mean, he's a very, you know, uh, modern guy, like he gets it. A lot of younger people are getting them because of student loans, you know, so it's a good way to kind of say, okay, who's going to be responsible for this? I'm not responsible for you, whatever. But for me, I think turn this on its head. When you sit down and have a discussion um, with your significant other about this prenup, it's almost a very good exercise. And everyone's saying, okay, here's what my financial picture looks like, because you have to disclose that, right? Mm -hmm. I have this amount of debt. I have this amount of income, I have this amount of retirement savings, I have this taxable account, blah, blah, blah. So then you can get a full picture of the other person. So that's the first good thing in a relationship. It's transparency, it's Mm -hmm. honesty. It's not like, oh, you know, I don't want to be transparent about my money. It's really making your relationship stronger because you're finally, you're talking about money and it's not like this taboo thing where everyone's trying to hide stuff. And so that's the first thing. And secondly, it allows you to be fair with each other and say, you know, I don't want you to be in harm's way 10 times, even if we're mad at each other. Um, I love you now. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want this to be with love in our hearts that we make sure that we both can go our separate ways in a good and solid way without one person's life being destroyed. Yeah. And do it when you're in that, that heat of love at the beginning. Yeah. At the beginning, I think if anything, if you do it right, it could bring you closer. Um, I was looking and I don't remember the name of it. I mentioned it. If you listen to the podcast I did with Market Watch on prenups, it's in there. Um, there's a link I have. And it's also on my Instagram page um, to this online uh, prenup service, and it has each person fill out, you know, um, a list of questionnaires separately mm-hmm. at, on, of questions, and then they come together. And then they look at all of their answers. And then from there, they go on to create the prenup. Now, under normal circumstances, just so I can tell everybody uh, responsibly, in the best scenario, each person would have their own lawyer um, and that they would review it, Mm -hmm. negotiate it, um, and then they would sign it and then they would have it notarized. Mm -hmm. That way, the other person can't say that they were strong-armed into it without their own legal representation. So- it's important that everybody have an autonomous review of this so it doesn't appear like one person is pushing the other because then that would make it less enforceable. Right. Um, But there are ways to do it now. And so the same thing with cohabitation, if you're going to live with somebody, it's very important to delineate who owns what, if you are to buy a house together, 
how are you going to own it? Is it going to be tenancy in common? Are you going to be joint tenants? If it is joint tenants, what is that going to mean? How does it mm-hmm. affect people who are your heirs? Um, there yeah, are, especially, you know, you know, it's in second marriages, you know, and second and third marriages. Like you should really go into this really clear because there's also kids involved. You know, there's oh, so sure. much more on on the table when you go into this. You see people jumping into marriages pretty quick after divorce. They see that all the time without yeah. Any thought as as just they're basically just feeling happy finally for the first yeah. time in a long time and have no thought to what that means financially. Yeah. 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 And and a lot of people, you know, this could cause a lot of family mayhem if you are getting married for the second time and you have children by your first marriage and you know, you gotta everybody has got to be very clear about where this is. Mm-hmm. And so the prenup whether you're a young person, an older person, um, I don't care what kind of person you are. You should have a prenup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for it's 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 for everyone. It's not the old days where the only people that have prenups are you know super rich people. Yeah, that ship has sailed. Um, and so for women, again, there's so much. This is you know so much to unpack here, but it is so important that we as women feel comfortable talking about money with our partner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's essential because it's the core of how we are going to live. Whether we decide to have children or not, we need to be master of our own fate. And we need to understand if you're going to collaborate with anybody, whether it's through professional, your professional endeavors or personally, and that's going to affect your financial life. When you get married or your co, even if you share, if you decide to have a credit card with somebody their credit starts to affect your credit. Yeah. And that affects whether you get a loan or what interest rate you get the loan out or whether you even can get a loan. And right. if somebody has been, you know, filed for bankruptcy and you don't know that, well, that's not good, you know? So No, um, there's a lot. There's a lot of layers that go on to that. And I love that. I mean, we could talk about this on and on and on. And there's there's things that we didn't even get to today, but I do think that this, this, this topic right here about prenups and getting them early and getting them in your next relationship after divorce is so critical. And we need to start having these conversations and, and having these conversations with our own children who are, you know, potentially going to get married or couple or move in together even. And knowing that there's a resource like you who's super empowered and very knowledgeable in all of this that you can go to to find out more about how to do this, learn about it. Because the more we know, the better we can do. Right. So, And knowledge is power. And someone asked me the other day on a podcast, like, what's the best, What's if you could say like one thing, what is the advice you would say? And I would say, look, this sounds broad, but I mean it because it, it goes really importantly to your money. Everything, sh- every decision you make should be intentional, mm-hmm. right? I know that we can get swept up in the moment or we just might be tired or we're just busy, but you have to be intentional because this is your life. Mm-hmm. And if things go badly, like in my case, things could could have gone very badly. Mm-hmm. I might not be sitting in my house that I bought in my own name I could literally, I don't know where I could be, but if things did not go well for me, if I didn't get that job, if I wasn't able to keep that job, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of options. I'm this old lady by today's standards. <laughs> I don't feel old, but everyone else thought I was old. Um, and, you know, just like you, 
I feel I'm just getting started and I'm 64. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. you have, I'm just getting the party started. I know you've but, got, so you see nothing yet. So going on that, as we, just as we wrap up to close, there are so many women probably listening to this thinking, oh my God, I don't think I could have it in me. I don't think I could do it. I, or I'm too afraid of taking that step. What would you tell those, those women? How would you tell them to be brave in themselves? Well, I would say this. When I look at how I felt when I didn't know anything and when I was a, had, had kind of a victim mentality and I was afraid, because I did live in fear for like six years, to how I feel now, like I know my budget. I know what I make. I know what I spend. I know what I give to people. If I want to go buy a pair of Jimmy Choo shoes and I know I can afford them without going into debt, that is so empowering. I don't have to ask anyone. I don't have to hide them. I have a plan for my retirement. I don't have to worry that I might be living on the street. That allows mm-hmm. me to sleep at night. So a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of change in the way you think will provide you with security and confidence to be able to navigate whatever life throws at you. So you just have to get through that hump, you know, because mm-hmm. once you start learning about your financial situation and you see where you're at and maybe you start saving a little bit, you start to feel empowered. You do. And that is where empowerment starts. Kimberly, thank you so much for being here. Everyone go check out her podcast called The Fiscal Feminist and you are going to learn and take away so much. Thank you and so much. And also buy the book. The book is where <laughs> and it's buy all the book. right here. The Fiscal <laughs> Feminist, the financial wake-up call to women. Yes, go buy the book today. Great, right before Christmas. Perfect. Exactly. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for being here with us. Thank you, Cindy. It's been awesome. I could talk to you all day. Me too. All of us know that it is next to impossible to make rational, logical, and even smart decisions from a place of fear. Most times, if we are in a place of fear and uncertainty, we won't make a decision at all. Cindy supports many individuals and couples at this stage who have been unhappy and unfulfilled, who are either currently in the process of divorce or just only contemplating the idea of separation. Cindy's clients are wise and brave enough to realize that they need to know more before they are able to make such a big life decision. Working with a divorce coach at these stages is the smartest investment you could make for yourself and your family, and it will almost always set you up for a better outcome, whether you choose the path of divorce or not. There have been many individuals and couples who have decided to give their marriage another shot after working with Cindy. As a divorce coach, certified divorce specialist, and qualified discernment counselor, Cindy is an advocate of healthy relationships, whether a couple chooses to separate or try to stay together. She provides new insights, education, guidance, emotional support, and understanding of the many possible options for both individuals and couples who are on the brink of separation. At the end of the day, as Maya Angelou once said, when we know better, we do better. This is exactly the focus and purpose of working with Cindy. Are you considering separation or currently in the process of divorce and feeling overwhelmed, afraid, and confused about what this means for your future and that of your children? Do you want to make the right decision without regrets? Why keep waiting? Book a free confidential discovery call with Cindy today. Text DIVORCE to 604-200-6446 or email info at divorceredefined.ca. All of us know that it is next to impossible to make rational, logical, and even smart decisions from a place of fear. Most times, if we are in a place of fear and uncertainty, we won't make a decision at all. Cindy Stibbard, founder of Divorce Redefined, professional divorce and decision coaching, supports many individuals and couples at this stage who are unhappy and unfulfilled 
who are either currently in the process of divorce or just only contemplating the idea of separation. Does this sound like you? If it does, you are not alone. Text DIVORCE to 602-200-6446 to book your free call. Those who choose to work with Cindy are wise and brave enough to realize that they need to know more before they're able to make such a big life decision. Working with a divorce and decision coach at these stages is the smartest investment you could make for yourself and your family. And it will almost always set you up for a better outcome, whether you choose the path of divorce or not. There have even been many individuals and couples who have decided to give their marriage another shot after working with Cindy. Because what she offers at Divorce Redefined is different. You don't have to only be getting a divorce to benefit from her professional guidance. Cindy offers a unique element in addition to her popular divorce services called Decision Coaching. Decision Coaching is a type of guided support that is meant to help couples get out of that indecision purgatory. Modeled after her training at the Doherty Relationship Institute, Cindy Stibbard's Decision Coaching approach is specifically designed to do just that, help couples come to a decision whether to take one more shot at reconciliation or whether it's better to prepare for divorce. Regardless of the direction taken, couples on the brink finally find the clarity and confidence to know whatever they decide, it is what's best for their family. As a divorce and decision coach and certified divorce specialist, Sydney Stibbard is an advocate of healthy relationships, whether a couple chooses to separate or try to stay together. She provides new insights, education, guidance, emotional support, and understanding of the many possible options for both individuals and couples who are in the process of uncoupling. At the end of the day, as Maya Angelou once said, when we know better, we do better. This is exactly the focus and purpose of working with Cindy. Are you considering separation or currently in the process of divorce and feeling overwhelmed, afraid, and confused about what this means for your future and that of your children? Do you want to do this right and make choices without regret? If you still aren't sure, ask yourself this. If I'm still in this exact place six months to a year from now, am I going to be okay with that? If your answer is no, Cindy is ready for you. Book a free confidential discovery call with Cindy at Divorce Redefined today. Text DIVORCE to 604-200-6446. That's text DIVORCE to 604-200-6446 to book your free discovery call today. You don't have to do this alone. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.